a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. So we have a pretty intense 86-day launch program. Oh. And in that 86 days, they have to show up with 200 contacts if, uh, that they have some way to communicate with. I don't care where they live. They yeah. can live here. They can live elsewhere. And we start them in and we focus on dials. So they have to make 125 phone calls a day. And then we start working on activity or on contacts. And then we start working on um, developing their pipeline. Welcome to Agent Success Podcast. If you're a real estate agent looking to succeed in today's crazy market, well, you're in the right place. Each week, we talk with successful real estate agents willing to share their expert insights, trade secrets, and mindset that help them to succeed. There's no fluff, just straight to the point content that prioritizes one thing above all, your success. So without further ado, let's cut to the chase. Welcome, welcome. I am with the one, the only, Tiffany Locknett. How are you doing, Tiffany? I'm great, Tim. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for being on the show today. Sure. Super excited to have you on here. And, uh, you know, you've had a lot of success here in Colorado Springs. You've done a, a ton of business and you, you've been doing real estate now for how long? Uh, going on 19 years. 19, that's it. So you've done one or two deals, right? Yeah, a couple. Yeah, okay, yeah. Done, done a couple deals, yeah. Mo- most agents... Um, Right now, I was watching during COVID, I was looking at some numbers and a vast majority, maybe not a vast majority, but a majority um, were either newly licensed or licensed in less than like three or four years, something like that. So there is a lot of um, newer agents out there. And then there's a lot of seasoned agents. And I, I, I separate seasoned agents into two categories. Seasoned agents who have held a license for 20 years and seasoned agents who have done real estate for 20 years, right? Yeah. So you have, you have two different, ca- and you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like you yeah. just you just have your, your license. The agents that have been doing this 20 years and having success, those are the people that I'm very interested in and like you. And what I mean by that is a lot of times we we look at this and we are transaction-minded instead of relational-minded. And transaction-minded brings a job, relational-minded brings a career. But there are certain practices that you've learned and had to unlearn and then learn new ones to help you survive for 19 years. So that means that you've made it through... 2008 recession, you've mm-hmm. made it through the COVID, you've made it through low rates, high rates, all the above, right? What was the most difficult time? Honestly, probably the last seven years. Oh, really? Which is, it's funny to say that because there's so many people that just got into business that had huge success because of the last seven years. Yeah, yeah. But for, you know, the old school real estate agent mm-hmm. who was relational, relational yeah. and expert-based and worked through challenging times for people, being in a market where the agent almost didn't matter in the eyes of the consumer Ooh, was yeah. tough, you yeah. know? So we, we, you know, my business wasn't built on flash and dash and, and you know, look at this cool gimmicky thing that we're doing. Yeah. My business was based on this, here's a challenge. Let's mm-hmm. find a way to solve that challenge. And that's how we gained a lot of market share in 2008 was because we were the perceived expert in the market or one of them at least. Yeah. So the last seven years having to kind of ditch the expertise and get creative with marketing more than what you know. Um, and I shouldn't say that quite as flippantly because there was a lot of challenges being yeah. an agent in the last seven that, years. That's, that's an interesting outlook though. Well, and I, and everything I used to do that worked didn't work anymore. Yeah. And it, not only was the market taking a crazy turn, Everything about media changed, like radio, oh, radically. live TV went away. I mean, in the last seven you mean years. I should cancel my Yellow Page ad? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It doesn't seem to be getting the traction <laughs> it used to get. Yeah. Well, but things that we did that were wildly successful, yeah. everything changed. Yep. So everything sort of changed at the same time. But, of course, you work through it. And at the end of the, that 
period, whatever time it takes, is you learn from that and you build on it like we mm-hmm. did in the short sale years. What we learned so much in that distressed market of how to work with people yeah. that were in trouble that we took forward with us, built those relationships. What, what did you do in that, like, let's say eight, nine, 10, right? Where um, a lot of agents, uh, so I was in mortgages and had a ton of challenges just getting stuff approved, right? Yep. Or finding anybody who could buy a house. There's tons of houses out there. I see um, a good chunk of, not a good chunk, but some agents had a ton of success in the REO world. Mm-hmm. And they, I, I don't know how they did that. So can you kind of give me an idea of what did you do during that massive, you know, they call it the rubber stamp foreclosure, right? Yeah. So REOs were everywhere. So we did not do any REO. I think okay. I had two bank listings. I okay. got them before the REO. So okay. I got the hard stuff, yeah. um, which was we pivoted and we pivoted really fast. Mm-hmm. So I, early in my career, was selling about $200,000 over the average sale price oh, in the market. Nice, yeah. I jumped into the cool thing called the internet for internet leads early ahead of everybody else. So we were really on the cutting edge of things and we did that with short sales and we went from a 550 average sale price almost overnight to 200,000. But if we hadn't done that, yeah. we we at one point had 17 years of over million dollar inventory. If I was listing million dollar homes in 2010, we would have been bleeding money and not closing. Yeah. So we just shifted and I ran into the right people at the right time and learned how to do a job that most people didn't want, which was short sales, Mm because that was pre-title company negotiating. Right, right. And just said, hey, we're going to figure this out and figure out how to do it the right way, because a lot of people were doing it the wrong way. Yeah. So that shift gave us uh, an upper edge in the market and, and we took some market share. And I had people calling me that knew some of the biggest names in real estate for 10 years prior to that, mm-hmm. calling me because they didn't want to call their friend and divulge the fact that they're in big trouble, uh, yeah. facing bankruptcy and foreclosure yep. and all that stuff. And the conversations we had with people were different than what we had before because it wasn't about price. It wasn't about staging. It was about, okay, I know you're in trouble. What do you need help with? Mm-hmm. And by the way, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and the, the thing with short sales, when we had to deal with short sales on the mortgage side, uh, and again, it was the first time I had been dealt with, which I mean, I had been doing purchases and refis, right? Yeah. And then when we start doing, uh, we start doing short sales, it was interesting because we had to rely on the real estate agent to, you know, we'd say, well, uh, they'd get the contract and then, okay, do, do we actually have a signature on the contract? Can we move forward? Well, no, no, don't worry. We'll get it in seven days. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we're sitting there. For right. We, we're sitting there for, like, we do I locked alone? Yeah. Do I not lock alone? We right? broke every law in real estate, which yeah. is uh, agents back then were submitting multiple offers to the bank. The sellers weren't signing them. In some cases, agents were signing on behalf of their sell. It was mm-hmm. a mess. <laughs> but part of the problem was, is we could sort of kind of like we did the last seven years to some degree is we ruined it for buyers because a buyer gets excited about a house. They go under contract. They mm-hmm. wait around for six months to find out the seller didn't actually qualify for the short sale. Yeah. They just felt like getting out. Yeah. So I did a lot of education in those years, both on the buy side and the listing side to help people maneuver through it mm-hmm. because you need to know how to ask the right questions on the buy side. And Do you, do you think though right now, do you think that we are um, going to be looking at Another short sale situation? Not really. I mean, we just, there's so much value in the market right now that if you're in trouble, you can get out. I I mean, there's a handful of people that have bought in the last, you know, 12 to 18 months that are probably upside down. A little bit higher interest rate, uh, maybe a VA where they hit the, uh, you know, 3% funding fee, something like that. Yep. So So if you're on a high rate VA and you bought in the last year, you're probably going to be upside down. Gotcha. Can you rent it? Yes. Yeah, I was going to say, we're in a transient, you know, city. You could probably rent that thing. I mean, if you bought it 7.5% on that single day, you probably are going to be in a short sale situation. But there's going to be ways of getting people out of that, at least for the short term. Yeah. 
I think it's hard to predict what comes in the next 12 months, but we have a supply and demand problem that's not going away. Yeah, builders seem to be money printers right now because they're making, I mean, the demand's there and they're creating the product over and over and over. But it slowed way down. And that's mm-hmm. that I think, you know, if we go back and look at what created the housing shortage in the first place, mm-hmm. we're creating another housing shortage right now because yeah. cost of goods are not coming down and yeah. cost of money's not coming down, which mm-hmm. is slowing the building nationwide. We're yeah. slowing, seeing slowing in buildings. So if we slow down building, and it's we were gonna, already yeah. way behind. We're going to have a further shortage, I think, going forward. So I have a, I have a crazy question for you, and then we're going to get into some more um, more of the um, practices that you do. But the question before we get into that is it's a little bit of a trick question, but I, I, I mean, you and I, I've, we've been in classes together, and I've, I've heard your opinions on things, and you're, you, know, you think things through very well. Do you think, if you had to pick one, keep in mind, a gun to your head, you have to pick one. Are rates too high right now or are house prices too high? Yes. <laughs> if you had to, so both. Yeah. Both. And I think what we're seeing in this market, yeah. I have, you know, in all the weird markets I've been in, I've never seen one that's as fickle and puzzling as this one because yeah. we're busy when we shouldn't be and we're not busy when we should be. It's, it's bananas. Right? It is. I mean, we are so news sensitive, almost more than rate sensitive because yeah. the general consumer out there doesn't know that short term rates are not long term rates. Yeah. And so they keep hearing rates are going to go higher. So I'm out of the market forever. But who really knows what long term rates yeah. are going to do at the end of the day? And we are coming into an election year. So there's going to be manipulation it's, coming it, next it's, year. It's, well, and like, as an example, OK, two days ago, um, we had on Wednesday, um, the Jerome Powell uh, announced, you know, we're raising rates by a quarter point. And the next day or that day, rates got better mm-hmm. Right that, that day. The next day, which was yesterday, Thursday, um, rates got radically bad yesterday like they took a dive yesterday and then today guess what we've made up about half the ground we lost yesterday already it's totally crazy so when you look at it we're actually almost even to where we were tuesday before the (laughs) before they announced it but we had a rapid climb a rapid fall and then a semi-climb right it's it's really crazy i mean our market is a hundred percent driven by rates yeah and or perception of rates and I think, you know, we people have gotten used to the number six. Mm-hmm. I don't think they've gotten used to the number high six. Yeah. And at, whether they're used to it or not, they most people are knocked out of qualifying. Yeah. So we had this weird phenomenon that happened last year, which is we corrected from the bottom up instead of the top down. Mm. I mean, normally when you see a market soften, you see your high end go first. Kind of like you said with the, with the short sale, right? Where, yep. you, where you had to come, you had to come down. You weren't doing million dollar right. properties. Yeah. Right? Well, our three hundred thousand dollar sale in two thousand eight was affected by a million dollar sale because mm-hmm. that million dollar price points drop, 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 drop. Yeah. Everything below it drops. Yeah. Instead, what we had is the bottom half fell out first. Mm. We started seeing houses that were priced really low not selling, and it was because that first time or entry level buyer just got, they got wiped out, couldn't buy anymore. And there was so nowhere for them. And there was yeah. nowhere for them to go. They couldn't say, well, I don't need a three bedroom anymore. I need a one. Cause there was nothing below them. Yeah. Whereas if you're at five, you can drop to drop a four, to four and say, well, I'm not going to get the perfect house this time, but yeah. at least I'm going to get a house. I'm not going to get the view I wanted or I'm not next to the park, but yeah. I'm able to still get a house. My family still gets a house. If you're at 300, no, that's it. And I think we're in gridlock and I think we're going to be stuck in gridlock for a while because the inventory is not coming. When you mean gridlock, uh, meaning at all price points or at the lower price point? I think mid range price point, probably across the board, really, mm-hmm. because we just don't have enough inventory to drive prices dramatically down because okay. really to bring them to, to make it so that we would reverse time two years yeah. to make the affordability go back to what it was in August two years ago. Yeah. 
we'd have to see a 30 to 35% correction in the market, and we're just not getting it. Demand's too high. Demand's too high, and there's just not enough houses. And and the distress level's not going to come because if you are holding a 2.75% interest rate, you're going to lose your car before you lose your house. Yeah. Because you will never be able to go rent for what you have your house payment at. You could The neighborhood you live in, um, you're going to go rent at a much worse neighborhood in a much worse place at that same price point. Yep. And, and we're seeing some of the move-up buyers do that, is they're hanging on to the house they have their mortgage yep. on renting it and going out and running. I have, I've had in this last week, multiple people, I've had maybe three this week talk about um, not doing a cash out at all, to, but they want to go buy some investment properties. All, all these instances they were, but they were going to do a home equity line of credit because they had a 3%. First. The first. Yep. Yeah, they did a 3%. So they're going to pull out a HELOC and use that for down payments on their, on their investment properties. Um, and I find that uh, interesting because usually, I mean, if you're in a Six and a half, we're going to cash out at six and three quarters. Yeah, just take all the money, you know, what's yeah. the big deal? But that's, yeah, they, they're doing everything they can to hold on to that 3% right now. It'll never happen again, right? And I, I don't even, I, I look at the map of where we're at. I don't know what anybody is going to be able to do mm-hmm. to fix the problem because yeah. the attempt was make the market crash. They really wanted a housing crisis. Yeah. Can't create a housing crisis because everything's too affordable that people are in. Yeah. And at some point, we're going to have to find a way to make housing more affordable. Yeah. Well, when, when the, I mean, the average sales price is what in Springs? Still, I mean, we float between 480 and 500. Still. Around, around 500 ish, yeah. right? Yeah. And rates right now are hovering on seven, mm-hmm. right? So we're, uh, which by the way, I do recognize that I told you that they would be in at fives. <laughs> I wasn't going to call you on it, Tim, at your show. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was about a year ago I told you that yeah. it would, it would. By, by May. Yeah, by May, we're going to hit, we're gonna, we were, we, we got like a five nine and then just started climbing back. Up, so, uh, you know, what I mean. Hey, you you stroked a check, market. you wrote, you went out and bought some mortgage-backed securities to float that sucker <laughs> down to win the bet. <laughs> exactly. That was a whole <laughs> lot of check I had to write, right? Uh, but, but I guess with, with rates going up into the high sixes, um, 7% right now, that does make it very, very challenging when the average sales price is 500000 That's a very expensive house payment. That's that's hard to... And I've, I've said all along, and I've watched it happen, mm. 7% is the death of real estate. Mm. And what I mean by the death of real estate, I should probably say the death of the real estate industry, because mm. I think that's when we get to very few transactions mm. happening. And I think we're seeing that, is yeah. that we're seeing our transactions continue to drop. And if we go into the sevens, I'm not sure what that does to the we're, real estate we're, community. We're pretty much there. Going right there. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so. I think uh, Freddie Mac's average rate last uh, in the last couple of days was like six point nine, something like that. But yep. they also calculated a bit of a buy down on Freddie Mac's calculation. So really, they are kind of low sevens is what we're seeing a lot. But the cool part about that right now, which is, um, and maybe you've heard me talk about this or maybe not, but to buy your rate down right now is so cheap. Yeah. That that. Even though I, I'm going to quote you a 7.2, for half a point, I'm getting you a 6.8. Yeah. For a full point, I'm getting you a 6.5, right? But then you hit a certain shelf where it's not used, you know, it's not value enough to, to buy that rate. Make down. it work, yeah. But um, so it's almost like the, the rates really, in effect, are mid to high sixes because we can buy them down so quick and so easy yep. to do that. Do you think seller concessions are... Uh, I mean, we see them frequently now, but do you think that they're going to be very strong moving forward? Yeah, and it mostly because when you have a declining market, your appraisals aren't a problem or yeah. as much of a problem. Yeah. Because I just, you know, I had an appointment with somebody this morning who's in that 325 to 350 sale mm-hmm. range. And I said, I don't really even care what's sold in the last six months because I'm yeah. not having a battle appraisal because we know we're going to be lower than that this yeah. fall. Yeah. So really, then you're just looking at what you're competing with. Yeah. 
Can I jump into a few specifics? Sure. Is that okay? All right, Tiffany, I'm going to jump into a few things to help other real estate agents. Okay. Because I know you, every time I've heard you speak, you're always okay with like sharing, right? <laughs> you're, you're, it's, it's like, here, here's, here's some information. So first question, what did you do before real estate? I was, a, well, the five years prior was stay-at-home mom. Okay. Um, prior to that, I was in the hospitality hotel industry doing sales. I okay. was traveling around and working with hotels, doing different things within the hotel what, industry. Well, what got you into real estate then? Um, we bought a house. I was staying home with the kids and just, I mean, I hate it because it's what everybody says. I loved houses. Like, mm-hmm. I loved the process of it. I liked looking. I liked shopping. I liked that whole process. Um, I'd be lying if I said I didn't think it was lucrative because yeah. if you're in real estate because you don't want to make money, then you're in the wrong industry. Well, yeah. actually, for some people, you're in the right place. But <laughs> but I just, I liked you that process. you got a license and you're going to meet all your goals. <laughs> <laughs> I like that process. Yeah. This is going to sound silly, but I, I missed getting ready for work. Yeah. <laughs> I was no, in no, my I was yeah. in my mom uniform every day for five, for yeah. five years. Yeah. And I missed going to work. So my husband at the time and I traded places and he mm-hmm. stayed home with the kids and I went out and got nice. dressed for work every day. Wow. <laughs> so month 57, you start getting itchy, 58, 58. 60, you're like, I'm done. Five years, I've hit my limit. I'm going out. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm making things happen. Um, how long did it take you to get to where you felt like you were making a living in real estate? So he quit his job mm-hmm. when I got my license. So it was, you know, you had to... You had to do it right away. Had to do it right. Yeah. Um, pretty fast. I mean, yeah. inside my first 12 months, we were, I, you know, I did just shy of $200,000 in gross commissions. So oh, public, wow. if you're listening, that's yeah. not how much money we took home because there's a lot of yeah, business costs, yeah. but it was enough to replace, you know, what we needed to live yeah. on. And I came in well-funded. We had savings, we had a business plan. I had marketing money. I had the runway, not just, Oh boy, if I don't sell a house next month, we're going to lose the house kind of thing. Yeah, which I'm a screwed lot of, if we don't do this. Yeah. And a lot of people get in not knowing just yeah. how much financial planning they need to do to make it work, especially in a market like today. Financial planning and um, so you have the financial plan, um, but y- your game plan going into it and having a little bit of a, a safety uh, net, so mm-hmm. to speak. Because if you go in, you're like, if I don't sell a deal next month, I'm totally hosed. And that changes your how you act, right? If, if yep. I have to do it right now. Um, and there's something to say about, you know, they call it burning the boats, right? There's something to say about that. But having that plan, having that actual, I'm spending X amount on marketing. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. What, where did you, do you mind if I ask, where did you start in real estate? Um, I started at Keller Williams, Clients Choice. Oh, where are you at now? I'm at Keller Williams Premier. Okay. So still KW. Mm-hmm. So oh. we had a, a five or six year stint at Remax. Mm-hmm. Um, we've sort of followed the brands that were in the market. Oh, um, Keller Williams, Klein's Choice happened to be a place where they had great education. I had agents yep. from other brokerages that I knew that said, go there and learn how to sell real estate. I heard, I heard KW. Um, so I, when I very first looked at doing real estate, KW um, was known as like, if you are new, they are going to train you. You yeah. are going to get and they were the all only, the education. And back 19 years ago, really the only place that really yeah. had that at the national level quality yeah. education. And it wasn't, here's an easement. It was, yeah. here's a script that works and here's who you should call. And here's a marketing campaign because they don't teach you any of that in real estate school. Yeah. And, and we all think we're going to sit down and the phone's going to ring. And back then they actually did. Cause you got floor calls, yeah. which is how I sold a couple of houses. My yeah. first year was floor well, calls. In, in Springs. They didn't, they didn't used to put the, uh, um, the house price on any of the flyers or mm-hmm. anything, anything like that. So you'd drive around and you'd have to call, call the Remax office, yeah. never answered the phone. Like, okay, are you looking to buy now? I just want the price. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. all they wanted was the price. And the front yeah. desk staff couldn't give it. 
front yeah. desk staff, but they weren't licensed, yeah. couldn't give out the pricing. Yeah. And actually taking pricing off of our flyers mm-hmm. was one of the ways we got a lot of business because a lot of people did put the price out. Sellers want it. They think they want it. Didn't they change a rule where you have to have that on there now? Mm-mm. Oh, you didn't? That people just started doing it? Not that I'm aware of. Unless oh. I'm not aware of it. But, but we also utilized the back of our flyers. I mean, that, that was one of the things we learned over the first two or three years was mm-hmm. we need to take every single contact yeah. and exposure to get business from that. And I think yeah. there's so much marketing opportunities in today's market where people can write a check that they don't do that as much as they used to. Yeah. So um, I actually got a real estate license in around 2000-ish. And I thought, well, I'm going to be a real estate agent. This was like six months before I realized I need to be a loan officer. <laughs> and so I, I looked I looked at who I should join and where I should work. And I signed up with a small shop. And the guy's like, I'm going to train you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And what I realized quickly was he knew how to sustain a business that he had been running for 25 years. Mm-hmm. He didn't know how to build a business. Like, I, I don't even know if he knew how he got to where he was. He just knew, oh, no, you got to call people. And he'd get phone calls. And It's second be, nature. Yeah, yeah. I'd, be with, I'd be like, well, what'd you do? Oh, I, don't, I don't know. I met, you know. I've known the guy for a while. And so what do I do? And this was his two things. Number one was phone book starting the A's. This is before do not call. Mm-hmm. And I would just sit there and sit in my living room and just dial on my landline, right? Just just dial, 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 dial. Do you or anyone you know looking to buy real estate now or in the near future? No, okay, thank you. And then I thought I'd get creative about a renter list and I started calling the renters. And so it was just phone call, phone call, phone call, going to visit Fizbo's. And it doesn't seem, well, first off, it didn't work at all. It was a lot of head banging. And it seems like now there's a lot of, more opportunity. So that leads me to my next question. What is the number one thing that a new agent should do? Hmm. Like I'm fresh getting into real estate, right? Brand new. So this is going to sound like a team plug. It's not. Um, If you're brand new to real estate, you should join a team. Oh, okay. And the reason is unless it's a really small brokerage, Mm -hmm. you're not going to have somebody who can sit down and hand, help you write a contract, review a contract, help you with every hiccup. There are some brokerages that are going to give some hand on experience, but for the most part, you're not going to have anybody who's going to hold your hand. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally think we actually need a lot more direct supervision requirements in the state Mm -hmm. because I see some new agents doing things that are wildly dangerous for their clients. And we are playing with somebody's largest single financial investment. Yeah. So I think join a team. Go find a team that's going to educate you, that's going to give you business. Um, if that's not the right path for you, get a list of 200 people and start there, start which there. is yep. go to the farthest reaches of your Facebook, your contacts and your phone. You've got you've to forget about the fact that you need to learn how to sell real estate. You need to learn how to sell yourself. Yeah. And you need to start doing some marketing to the people you know because it's going to take them two years to really see you as somebody who knows what they're doing. Mm. So the faster you get in front of them with that repetitive, hey, I'm dressed up in my business clothes today, not my workout clothes, people need to be able to physically see you in that role to start remembering. They associate you as a real estate agent. So they've always known you as a stay-at-home mom for five years. Well, how do I now envision you? As a real, okay, yeah, you're a stay-at-home mom, but wait a minute, you're doing real estate. And then pretty soon you start getting some phone calls there. Now, let me let me go back to the team really quickly. Um, this is something I wanted to ask you about. So what, to me, it, it feels like when I talk to a new agent, there is a lot of um, mystery for them. Like they haven't, they don't quite get the guidance necessarily. Mm-hmm. So joining a team, what, you know, outside of, you know, just the, the guidance, the, the, let me look at your contract. What What is the benefit, like, for a new agent joining a team? What do they actually what else do they get out of it? So they get the the basic 
training. They mm-hmm. should get the basic training, um, but they get leads. They mm-hmm. get a lot of its support and camaraderie. Like the people that do really well in real estate want to be around people. Yeah, They're very people oriented people. I started my team because I was lonely. Yeah, There was nobody at <laughs> the like, end. I keep doing <laughs> transactions. <laughs> Can well, somebody go to lunch I mean, with me or something? <laughs> to some degree. I mean, I kind of yeah. joke about that. But at the end of the day, when you're having like a good day, you're like, wah, no one here to high five me. I find myself. And yeah. if I'm having a really bad day, there's no one to go have a beer with. Yeah. You know, yeah. so having, I wanted those people around me because I'm energized by people around yeah. me. And I think if you're one of those people that's energized by people around you and you want to have that support system, mm-hmm. just by being around people that are doing it is going to force you to do it. Yeah. The other thing is I'm, I personally have a very in-office culture. I yeah. like having the team with me, around me. I need to be able to see them. They need to be able to see me. You learn by proximity. Yeah. Just hearing people do what they do, mm-hmm. you'll learn all the things you didn't learn in real estate, like how to say hello, yeah. what not to say, yeah. like for housing issues and things like that. So I think, one, it's moral and support. It's the coaching. It's the accountability. So, and this is a hard job. Like, mm-hmm. no one wants, no one drives to wake up at seven o'clock in the morning and call four hundred people today. Yeah, some yeah. people might, but most people don't. Most humans don't. Yeah. So, you need someone who says, "Hey, where are you? Do your calls. Yeah, get your calls in because if you don't, in ninety days, you're going to have no money in the bank. Like, let's yeah. get real about this. And seeing other people do it, doing yeah. it, and succeeding." will help you remind yourself why you're doing what you're doing every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that that's huge. That that's massive. I see a lot of uh, a lot of newly self-employed people in any industry don't put in the hours or they don't do what what what's needed to succeed. Instead what they do is they do what they what feels okay to do. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, making calls sucks, right? So I so at, at our office, well kind of like you guys you have your what are the D2D ABC, EFG, whatever it is, right, right, for for KW. Um, It's kind of the same thing. Like, you, these days you make these calls, right? And if you make these calls, this is going to be your success rate just off of percentages. You know that this is going to work. If you refuse to do your calls because it's uncomfortable or you refuse to meet with people because it's uncomfortable, you refuse to do whatever it is that's uncomfortable, um, you're probably not going to last. And like you said, 90-day, 90 to 120 day cycles, right? I usually tell people when they join our company, even if they're seasoned at another place, as I give yourself 90 to 120 days and the culture is a little more, um, uh, you know, a little more excitable than the standard culture. So get used to it and you just got to, you just got to dive right in. If mm-hmm. you're going to sit at home and hope that your phone rings. Yeah. Not, it's not going to ring unless you want to talk to spam people. Yeah, yeah. The car warranty guys don't buy a lot of houses, but they they'll don't. call you. And life insurance, believe it or not, they don't buy a lot of houses either. Yeah. I've had a lot of phone calls from them. So, <laughs> um, so this this one's going to be more of a personal question. So we see a lot of success with Tiffany, right? She has her team and it does great. Um, love talking to you about real estate. Very knowledgeable. What part of the journey was most difficult for you? Like, what do we, what do we not see? What what? Where did it hit? I mean, not not the last seven years that you're talking about, but like personally, um, what was really difficult in your real estate journey? Um, I'm pretty transparent actually about mm-hmm. some of the bumps in the road. Um, my dad owned a business in town for 27 years and he was in the ski business and he joked that everybody in, in ski business either worked for him at some point or would work for him at some point. Yeah. And I, I sort of feel like that a little bit. Like I've had a lot of people come through the team. I've helped a lot of people get out of real estate and I've helped a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> and I've helped a lot of people I help you make a good decision. <laughs> right. And I've helped a lot of people find a path that where they've done well. Um, people leaving you is probably my hardest thing mm, is yeah. that, you know, 
I warn people when I hire them, I'm going to get into your stuff. Like, this isn't just about real estate. I'm going to poke the bear. If it looks like you're having some personal stuff going on, I'm not going to be afraid to ask you because a good friend of mine who's a big real estate coach says you can't not have cancer at work. Mm. Meaning if you have something really bad happening in your personal life, you can't not bring it to work. And you have to be able to trust the people you work around to tell them what's going on. Mm. Because if I don't know what's going on, I can't help you. Yeah, you're just going to sit there and fester and be miserable. And you're going to make mistakes in your transactions and you're Mm. not going to get that support you need. So for me, I have been friends and, you know, really cared a lot about the people that have been with me. And some, a lot of them have left. Yeah. So there was an experience I had a few years ago where I had six people on the team all leave together, all went to the same team together. Ugh. And it was, and it was a necessary time. Yeah. Um, they were not succeeding in our environment. They mm-hmm. needed to recognize it wasn't the team environment. They were not succeeding and it was what their activities were. Sure. And we knew, we kind of thought it might be coming, but I didn't expect them all to go at once. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm driving back from a training thing and, and. Um, Denver, and of course, I'm beating. My, I've been beating myself up for weeks. Like, what did I do to help not help them find success? Yeah, yeah. And I see them go to KW, and there was a we're finally home, and I was like, what happened to my home? So I think that <laughs> yeah. that I think is the hardest part is that yeah. I have such personal relationships with all the people that have ever worked yeah. with me, and most of them are still friends to this day, and yeah. would call me, and I could call them. But it's hard when people bit leave of a you. gut punch. Yeah, it's hard when people leave you as much as I tell people, and I truly mean it, which is I want to help you get wherever your next place is. If you need to go yeah. somewhere else, tell me. I'm going to help you co- help coach you there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it just, I don't want people to go away. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like when, them. well, and you invest in them, and it's, it's you like the whole environment. It's all good. And then when that happens, wait, what? I mean, that's happened to me as well. You're like, what, what the heck? Right? Yeah. What? And I ask the same question. Well, what did I do? Like, not like what did I do to like offend you necessarily, but what did I what did I not do would be the more appropriate question, right? Like, did I not, was I not present enough? Did I not care enough? Did I not give you the value you needed? And obviously you're in the same industry as us. So people can jump ship all over the place and they do. So then I look at it and say, what, you know, what value am I providing? If I know that you can go somewhere else, right? Like, am I providing value to you that exceeds the value you would get somewhere else? Yeah. And that's, that's part of the, you know, part of the world that we live. That, that's an interesting answer. That's that's a very transparent answer. By well, the way. and being a leader, everybody thinks it's fun and it's for them. It's not for most, and it's sometimes really not a lot of fun. And mm-hmm. that I think is part. That is part of being the fearless leader is that yeah. you have to recognize that you can't do that job for them. Mm-hmm. I can teach them how to do it. I can encourage them to do it. I can scare them into doing it. But at the end of the day, if they choose not to, I can't fix that. Yeah, they're the one that has to do it. Yeah, yeah. and and the biggest mistake I've probably made is keeping those that don't want to do it too long and it negatively impacts the people around them that do. That's interesting. So we, I, I, and I, I'm extremely guilty of that particular one right there. Like, I'm like, I believe in you, man. I believe in you. We can do this. And I've, I've come to the conclusion in my own head. What I tell myself is I can't want it more than you. Yep. Like if I want your success more than you want your success, it's you've already maxed out, right? They're, they're, we're not going to go anywhere. Yeah. It's very hard. Um, do you have any children that work in real estate with you? I do and I don't. So okay. my 22-year-old, or almost 22-year-old son, um, was on my team. He was COVID college kid and decided that was not going to be for him. So he came back, got his real estate license, started working for me. He is now living in Fort Collins working for a friend of mine. Um, in real estate? In real estate. Oh, okay. So he's selling real estate in Fort Collins. Um, Why did he move up there? I, he needed to get out of Colorado Springs. Mm. Anybody who's grown up here knows there's a time you need to go. And yeah. he was missing having any college experience. So mm-hmm. he's living with, you know, some, some friends that are in college and he's, 
So he kind of yep. gets the best of both worlds. He's doing the college thing and also getting his career started ahead of where I think a lot of his friends will when they graduate. Well, and if you can get good at, at real estate, there's a, there is a lot of people that have a gob of student loan debt and they're not doing good yeah. at all. Whereas in real estate, uh, you as a coach, you're able to show your son, hey, th- you have to make these calls. Yeah, It sucks on Mondays to make these calls from between 9 and 11 or 11 to 12 or whatever, but that's what we got to do to succeed. Yeah. And, and if you can see that, and if that is more, if he's if he's cut more for that than, than going to school, then he's got a jump start. Well, know? and he's also, so he, he, really there's so many things that Hayden could do but one of the things he really understands and some of it is because he lived at my kitchen counter for you know 20 years and he listened to all of our transactions and investments and stuff is he is using his real estate career to leverage himself Mm -hmm. into investing which I think is the number one mistake real estate agents don't make or do make is that they don't do enough of that that we go out and have great success buy Mm -hmm. pretty cars and houses and all those things and don't conserve our spending so that we can create passive income because Look at where we are right now. I think we're going to have some people that are pretty big producers find themselves in a world of financial hurt because you remove 40% of the transactions in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Some people are going to fall. Yeah. And if you've got big fixed expenses, you're going to fall really hard fast. Yeah. So he's learned from that mm-hmm. and his real passion and real why is what he's going to be able to do with the income mm-hmm. in getting creative to build really big wealth early. Yeah. So his, his goal was to be a millionaire before he's 30 and he's got eight years to go and Hey, keep He's at it. figuring it out. Yeah. So let, let, let's touch on that for a second. So most real estate agents, and I used to joke about this, is anytime there's an up market, you'll have a lot of brand new agents driving brand new Mercedes. That's what I used to always say, right? And it was like you have one or two years of success. Next thing you know, you have a $1,200 a month car payment. But man, is that a great car. But you can only drive 27,000 miles a year, otherwise <laughs> it's going to charge you, right? Yeah. Um, so what you're saying is, and just to be clear, you're saying – invest in real estate or are you saying save your money that you make in real estate um, so that when tough times come you're prepared I think invest in what you're passionate about okay you know if you're in real estate it's sort of a a hobby to collect houses because we're in them all the time we know the business we know mm-hmm. the industry we know how to figure out if it's a deal or not or we should be able to or maybe yeah. we shouldn't be doing that for somebody else but invest in what you're comfortable investing in. Mm-hmm. You know, if you feel passionate about houses, buy houses. and, okay. and But di- also diversify because if you buy a bunch of houses, some agents found out in 2008 and 10, which is yep. they lost them all. Yeah. Um, commercial, different animal, mm-hmm. different financing pitfalls and, yep. and benefits there. But diversify your investments, but make sure you have enough savings to support you if you had to go six months without a paycheck. Yeah. Because it's not just now that that's happening in 2000. Excuse me, 2008 it happened. Yeah. We had the bailout bill come yeah. and we didn't sell a house for four months. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, we would, we would have loans come in and we'd like literally the, they met guidelines and the banks wouldn't approve them for whatever. Like they had to be like super, super. Well, super and on important. our side, nothing was selling because yeah. 60% of what we sold here was either a short sale or an REO. And the banks were waiting to find out how much government money they were going to get. So all of our short sale negotiations totally stopped. Banks were not list. Everything was just frozen. So it was September. I think it was September, October, November, December. And then my first closing in January was a $72,000 condo. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was thin. Hallelujah. I made 800 bucks. It was, it was thin. And I don't even really remember having like, emotional problems with it. It just was what it was. And yeah. it was the market we were in. And the more distressed it got, the more business I was getting. Were you were you prepared for that four-month stretch? Did you prepare 
emotionally and financially to make it through that? I didn't know better. So okay. I didn't, I, I didn't, didn't prepare for it. I was mm. prepared for it because I'd done well financially and was yeah. smart with my money and just saved because yeah. we had, you know, I didn't, we didn't know any better. Yeah. So for us, it wasn't like this where last seven years, woohoo, everything's amazing. Yep. We, we don't know, we didn't know better. So it didn't hurt us. Yeah. People that do know better now are, are struggling. And yeah. I've had to have some really hardcore conversations with some agents that have been in the business a while that are really struggling. And I've said, look, mm-hmm. this last seven years is gone forever. Like yeah. you just need to forget it ever happened because you're not going to go out and make $250,000 the way you did before. Yeah. You're going to cut the, the markets down 66% for transactions from two years ago. So that means you're going to have to work 66% harder to get to achieve to that point to even think about getting there. Yeah. And then you take 15% off the top because the market cracks a little bit yeah. and you're, you're just not going to make that money. Yeah. So emotionally forget it or get out of the business. Yeah. Um, so this and this one's kind of an interesting because I, I want to I'm gonna kind of specifically talk about for new agents is um, what what do you not do right now that you know you should be doing for new agents for you personally right now oh um, because it's going to translate to new agents I would imagine well what I'm doing right now is a lot of production mm-hmm. um, which isn't my favorite direction to go Mm -hmm. because I find that people that are in heavy production and running a team don't have time for their team. Gotcha. And if there's a fire with one of your transactions, it's going to have to take a priority over a a one-on-one meeting you're having with an agent. Gotcha. It's hard, it's hard to, it's hard to build that team and sustain the team and grow the team when you're, when you're heavy in your own personal stuff. Yep. And the reason I'm doing it now for, is for a lot of reasons when we need the production, Mm -hmm. it's just plain and simple, but also I have one or two little superpowers. I'm not very good at most things I do, but the the little superpowers I have is to figure out puzzles. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not heavily working in the market, I can't figure the market out. Mm. So I need to be knee to knee face to face with buyers and with sellers and with agents. So I can figure out how we reposition ourselves in the market to continue growing rather than shrinking. Cause if Mm. we did what we did the last seven years, we're, we're going to evaporate. Yeah. Um, but I need to be, I'm working a ton of hours, yeah. getting like buyer agent burnout kind of thing. So, but I think it, you need to focus on activities, okay. which is most people don't understand that you sit down and you gold plan and you write down, I want to sell 22 houses this year, whatever that is. You have to break that down into daily, hourly and per minute activities and focus on the win with the activity and not the outcome because the outcome is not going to come fast and it gets depressing. Mm. So if you say, I need to sell a house today or this month, how many calls, how many doors do you have to knock, how many open houses, what are the 10 things you have to do and check those off your list every day. And mm. then when you look up, you'll have a paycheck coming. That's, that's fantastic. So those, those small activities, everyday activities, you know, these activities lead to income, maybe not in 30 days or 60 days, but in 90 days, 120 days, 180 days, that's when it starts paying off. And I just have to have trust in the system. So there's, um, you know, uh, we, we've kind of built our system for loan officers and uh, one thing that gets said is um, you're not testing the system. The system's testing you. So mm-hmm. have faith that these things work because they do work, right? Now, you had mentioned earlier, like, you know, you go to a, a sales seminar and somebody tells you some hurrah, rah, rah, and then they haven't actually practiced the hurrah, rah, rah, right? Yep. But you know through 19 years of what actually does lead to success, and do you, do you, on your team, do you put requirements on these activities or do you more lay it out and say, if you want to win, this is what you do? 
a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. So we have a pretty intense 86-day launch program. And in that 86 days, they have to show up with 200 contacts uh, that they have some way to communicate with. I don't care where they live. They can live here. They can live elsewhere. And we start them in and we focus on dials. So they have to make 125 phone calls a day. And then we start working on activity or on contacts. And then we start working on um, developing their pipeline. Mm-hmm. and how many people they need to be adding to their pipeline that they stay in touch with every month. And the patience that it takes for people to get through that 86 days because day one, you're going to make 125 phone calls. You're probably not going to sell a house that day. <laughs> but it develops the habits because let's face it, if I want to run a marathon and I try to go out tomorrow and run, you know, 30 miles, 20 miles, I'm not going to make it. So I'm we have die at 100 yards. <laughs> <laughs> and the same thing goes for yeah. dials. So we have in that 86 days, we have an, a mass action day where they have to make a thousand phone calls, which sounds like impossible for most people. It's not. And when you push yourself, you realize how much you can actually do. Mm. So there's do you a, use an auto dialer in that. Uh, we do not use multi-line dialers now. A, a single line auto dialer. We have a single line non. It, there's human intervention to make that call so that we get around. Okay the regulations there. Yeah. I don't, I don't like multi-line dialers there. Yeah. The only time I've ever had a, a hiccup in, and with a potential legal problem is on a multi-line dialer. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> we won't do that again. There's yeah. a lot of people out there waiting for you to call them and they will sue you. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And so it's just a matter of time before you hit one. Um, but they, those are the activities they need mm-hmm. to be. We're in the office. We're doing group calling so that everybody's with each other. So they're hearing each other. And then we do practice the role play. I mean, it's, it's the really boring mundane stuff that makes you get better every day. And sometimes you don't even realize you're getting better. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. That's, um, those, and and having the 86 day expectation as well. It's not this infinite never ending. Do I always make 150 phone calls? What we're going to do is 186 days and you're going to see what you're made of. And And we find when they get to 86 days, if they haven't graduated, Mm -hmm. And they're probably not going to make it hmm. Interesting. with us yeah. or with anybody. Because if you can't sell a house in those 86 days with these activities in any market condition, yeah. you probably are, are going to either, either we failed them terribly yeah. or they didn't do the activities. And sometimes it's just their personality. Yeah. Some just, people have personalities that are repellent. They're yeah. not attractive. Yeah. And sometimes they're very customer service oriented, which is mm-hmm. if I'm going to answer every question under the sun for you and never ask you for the business, they won't. Yeah. Those people don't usually yeah. do well. It's uh, asking, <clears throat> we, uh, you know, when you get, when you're there to answer every single question, first off, you can't answer every question, right? It's rules change, this change, there's ifs, there's that's, there's buts. And when you get into that mode of like, I'm going to provide everything to you. And I've been guilty of this, you know, in years past, you get almost no loyalty from the person and you spend all, you're exhausted answering all the questions, as opposed to, let me guide you. Let me find out your goals. Let me find out what you're trying to achieve. When somebody asks me, you know, as an example, is a reverse mortgage uh, a good idea? Maybe. maybe. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. I like how you answer at the same time. Maybe, right? <laughs> let me explore with you. So I always call that the needs probe. I have to find out what your true needs are. Your need isn't to know every single thing I know about real estate. That's not your need. That's like going to your doctor and I want to know every single detail about the ear, right? Uh, I can hear. That's good. It doesn't hurt. That's good. Um, and for a real estate agent to try to almost data dump in mm-hmm. a way, right? That they would have to get over that very quick. Yeah. That would and they tend to, and I tell them, as soon as you find yourself not asking the questions, mm-hmm. you're off-roading and get back on script. Yeah. Because the questions, even if you need to help somebody get to the right answer, yeah. a question is a way to get there. Yep. As soon as you start barfing on them, they don't want to hear from <laughs> you. They don't want to talk to you. They don't care what you know about real yeah. estate. They care about how you don't know what's important to them yet. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that's the only way to. You know, we, we always uh, kind of joke like during the needs probe, like when I'm finding out what you actually like. What are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? If I do, if I skip that step, so to me, there's five steps to a sale, right? And it's it's very it's very very clear. I go rapport, needs probe, presentation, close, overcoming objections. Like like I just have to know where I'm at in there. I can't jump to presentation if I didn't do my needs probe, mm-hmm. right? I, I have no right to do a needs probe. If I have no rapport with the person. So yep. there's a an, an very natural progression that happens. And it's like going, if you go to a car lot and you get a 25-year-old, you know, kid out of the military, super excited, and me and my family show up. I look over at a big 4 by 4 truck. I'm like, that thing's awesome. But we're not there to buy that, right? And he's like, oh, let me tell you all about this. Bam, 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 bam. Let's go for it. And really what we need is we need a Corolla. <laughs> you know, that, that's, what we, that's what we really need. And all he's done is created a division of what we actually need mm-hmm. and instead of him thinking he's reading a cue and presenting what he thinks is there. So when you look at that in real estate, you have nothing to present. You're going to present the wrong thing and you're going to just, you don't want to take a nap after the conversation if I'm not there to ask questions. So that's, yeah. I love that 86 day. That's, that's very structured. And I would say most, most people don't, don't have that. So I'm going to ask if this, if I've, if I've combined all the, this data correct so far is, you have a clear plan for a real estate agent every single day. You have a 86 day. You come in. This is exactly what you do. This is your training. You do group calls. You expect people to show up to work every single day. You want them to actually attend and be around other people and actually put in their eight hours, not their eight minutes a day of work. Does that kind of summarize the team that you've? Yeah, it does. And the backup piece to that, the reason why it is the way that it is, mm-hmm is I don't have statistical data to back it up, but I know I'm right, is that the if you don't get yeah. into production fast, you're going to get out. Yeah. And it's probably going to take longer than it should, and you're going to be in very bad financial situation mm. if you don't figure that out early on. But if you, but if, if, if people get into that 86 days, do those activities, their percentage of success goes up dramatically more. I have a lot of people that come to me two years into the business. They sold one house and they are dying financially. And they're what I call the most dangerous agent in the business, which is they need that commission check more than that seller needs the household or the buyer needs to buy the house. Ooh, yeah. And they're making bad decisions for that person because they need that income. Because that, that is taking priority over the fiduciary responsibility you have of representing your client. Yep. It is my, my requirement is I got to get that money. because I got to make my rent check. Right. Yep. It's not to actually help that person. And I tell my new agents or existing agents, if you get to a place where you ever think, oh boy, what am I going to do without the commission because this inspection is going to fall mm-hmm. out, you need to call me and get a loan. Yeah. Because yeah. I would rather have you get out of that scenario than put my client in danger. Yeah. So a um, couple, couple last questions for you. Um, first one is, um, if you were a loan officer for a week, what would you do different than what, the, what you see most loan officers do now? Nobody wants that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think part of the challenge that lenders are faced with is that everybody, you're you're in the same marketing position we are, which is you have to go attract business. And it's, nobody really wants a lender. Like as a going consumer direct, nobody really wants to talk to you now or ever (laughs) unless they have to. Sorry, Tim, but they don't. You're, you're, you're the person who's going to give them bad news. It's going to cost you this much. You're going to have to go out and dig up all this paperwork. You have no idea where it is. But I think reciprocity mm-hmm. is where 
there's an ability to win there, which is you do have a huge database. You've been around forever, yeah. which is we give all the business to the to the lender. Some agents feel like they give all the business to the lender and they don't get any business back. Right, right. But I think reciprocity and saying, okay, how collectively do we build business and a mm. database together? And it's mm. not, hey, I'm going to, here's some marketing materials and here's yeah. a 33 touch campaign or whatever those are. But I think grabbing hands and saying, okay, how do we together partner mm. so that we bring business in together? Yeah, yeah. That's that's fantastic. I like that. That's very good. That's a different answer than what I usually get. That and also bring it to the closing table. I mean, that's that goes without saying. Yeah. <laughs> get my CTC early. Make sure the money's there. And yeah, yeah, yeah. check the money before before closing happens. So with with on the mortgage side, when you say database, right, um, or, and the, the reciprocity piece mm-hmm. of that, um, to me that that says. Just, kind of two different things, but maybe not. Are you saying more um, referring business to you that you initially had no knowledge of, Mm -hmm. like brand new, or are you saying leveraging the database to help mine, not not mine, but sustain and to, to you know, recapture business that you already have? I think it's both. I think it's, you have a database that you probably haven't really been able to tap into from a real estate perspective Mm -hmm. because you may not have ever had a real estate agent that sat down that said, hey, we could utilize your base of 30,000 people and deliver this message. Um, I find some mortgage, some lenders want to jump in and say, Hey, we're going to start marketing listings and we're going to do this. And I'm like, no, no, don't, don't, don't compete with me in that space (laughs) because I'm already competing in that space, but utilizing yourself saying, Hey, client database, Mm -hmm. are you suffering? Are you having issues making your house payments? Are you having to relocate and navigate through this market? Getting some of your agents that are supporting you, supporting them back through mm. your database, I think is is where it's missing a little bit. Oh, that's beautiful, uh, and I get, that gives a lot of ideas, I'm sure, to any loan officer listening. Like, well, it's hard. You have 50 agents in your database. Which one are you going to pick? Uh, well, see, <laughs> <laughs> well, and you and you and and it's also difficult because if let's say I got 30 referrals, and um, you know, 15 different agents sent me 30 referrals, well, I can't rightfully mine my database and give you something that somebody else gave to me right so it, it is a very yeah I'm giving you some, I'm giving you the impossible yeah but at the same time if you're referring people out refer three agents and yeah. give those three agents each an opportunity to win that business yeah. and then the client ends up coming out ahead because they've had three agents competing well, you know and I, let me ask you about that because I, I actually I think that that I, that's what I do is I, I go three agents and I let all of them know, hey, look, there's, you know, there's, you need to talk to him, you need to win it, but, but I don't want to necessarily be tied to, hey, call Bob, he's my guy, and then Bob is having a rough day and he doesn't treat him real doesn't well. Call and him back. Yeah, yeah. It, it, whatever it is. Um, I've always wondered though when I do that, and it doesn't sound like it's a problem, but it, it sometimes agents give me the impression they don't necessarily like that idea that I would refer multiple people out. But for me, three's the, you know, you guys, you know, look at it. There's no rule or anything, but to me, the three, it says, and I tell the client as well, here's the three people you need to talk to all three. And it's your choice of you need to find personality and experience that you think is going to work best for you. And I kind of put the weight on them because it's not like you guys are, it's not like Tiffany's giving me a 6.5 and Jeffrey's mm-hmm. giving me a 7.2 and it, it, you, you know what I mean? Like, like there's not that it's, it's personality and it's how am I going to actually execute and help this person out? And if you're referring to somebody who's not comfortable competing, they just take them off the list. Yeah. Do you guys do any open houses? Uh-huh. How often do you do open houses? So as part of our new agent launch, they mm-hmm. have to do a minimum of two week, um, two per week, two per week. 
when they're in yeah. their ramp up. Once they start getting people under contract, we scale You're that like back. Mike Tyson going in the first round, you just start hitting. <laughs> <laughs> get into activity. Yeah. You got to yeah. get into motion and motion begets mm -hmm. more motion if yeah. you sit around and don't do it. But you don't have to do an open house on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. And that's sort of one of the things is when you're really producing and you're working with a lot yeah. of buyers, you're working Saturday and Sunday showing houses. That's okay. Yeah. Do Wednesdays and Thursdays. There mm -hmm. was an agent in one of our programs. I'm trying to remember where it was. Oh, new agent uh, started December 1st, held 32 open houses in the month, strategically placed herself around malls. And I think she put like four or five people in her contract in January, all from those open houses. Wow. Different market. This yeah. was two years ago, so obviously things were, you know, a so lot my, different. My sister's today. a my sister's a new agent, so she's I mean, she's like you. She was a stay at home mom, um, and she uh, uh, she got licensed maybe sometime in the last year, but you know, you know, just life or whatever. She just really started hitting it like maybe this last like sixty days or so, and so I talked to her. She's in Phoenix, and I talked to her a couple of days ago. She in and you know she's actually has some buyers. She had some questions about some stuff, and I'm not licensed in Phoenix, so I just kind of kind of help where I can. And I'm talking to her. I'm like, well, okay. Her name's Angie. I say, well, Angie, you got, you got, you know, four or five buyers right now. Um, you only been doing this so long. Like, how are you, like, are these leads from your team? Cause she's on a team. Are these leads mm -hmm. from the team? That, and she tells me, no, these are all mine. I said, well, how, right? Like, how are you doing this? Like, cause you're doing great. Just so you know, you're doing great. And she's like, well, um, you know, obviously my database, I, I, I call people, I let people know what I'm doing. Um, she said, but really open houses. She said, my open houses have just been crushing it. She's like, almost all my buyers right now are from open houses. They didn't have an agent. They show up, I help them out. Next thing I know, I'm out helping them. I said, so, you know, you're doing, and so she's doing, I think she's doing one, one per week right now, mm -hmm. every week that she's, and she's like, this is fantastic. She's like, this is a, she's like, I, cause she's a very personable person. Very, she's got the personality. For she, the yeah, she, she's, yeah. She's, she's she like, attracts it. She's like, it's great. Like mm -hmm. they come in, I got to show the house. She's like, I, and she's, she's a house fanatic, right? She's like loves houses. Um, and so she's like, this is. It couldn't be any better. I was like, okay, great. Well, and if she keeps and that, and that's where you've got to find your niche because yeah. open houses aren't right for everybody. Yeah. Some people are horribly awkward at the first meeting. <laughs> and if you're horribly awkward first meeting somebody, yeah. you're going to have to work really hard to get the personality for an open house and doing them will create that. You'll yeah. find a way to be likable if you're not likable. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if you are really magnetic, really mm -hmm. likable, knowledgeable you can let people see i mean confidence is a 50 of your ability to, to gain yeah. someone's trust is your own personal confidence yeah. and if you're not confident and you're sitting in an open house you're probably not going to grab any buyers there yeah. but keep doing it because doing it means you're having conversations and let's face it the buyer wasn't expecting to walk in and talk to somebody who knew yeah. anything they just want to see the house yeah so you just kind of it's a good way to inch it in it mm -hmm. doesn't cost any money just cost yeah. time yeah it's it's, it's I, I think i think it's great i love that that you have your people doing that too i think it's a great way to get to business so um for the sake of time i'm gonna ask one last question okay um and you've been very insightful and very open i really appreciate that this job i've been doing it about as long as you it can be stressful it can be difficult it can be tons of fun, like very rewarding, but it can, it, there's times where you're just like, like you said, buyer burnout, right? Like you're just like, oh my gosh, like it's just so like hour after hour you work, you, you legitimately work every day. Um, but what does Tiffany do to unwind? Um, I travel a lot. Okay. Um, that's one of the things that I love about real estate and love about having the team structure that I have is mm -hmm. that I have the ability to be able to travel far distances. So I can work really hard for 30, 60 days and go out of town for two or three weeks. Um, 
right now, that's really kind of probably my biggest outlet is our yeah. travel, either planning it. We're also building a house right now, mm-hmm. which, by the way, as the expert, don't build a house right now. <laughs> <laughs> and literally the fireman that set a building on fire and ran into it, you know. Um, so, but it's fun. I mean, building a custom yeah. home is a really cool experience yeah. until it turns into work, which it does for everybody. But, yeah. but travel and yeah. we, you know, we play outside a lot. We have, yeah. I have, I have good friends that live in good places that have good toys. So we all share toys and. Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> where, 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 where's, where have you gone recently? Uh, let's see. Um, we haven't traveled as much this year. We're getting ready to go to Portugal. We're going to Madeira, which is actually an island really more off the coast, coast of Africa. Um, the last three years, we've had some great post-COVID travel. We went to the Maldives, yeah. went to South Africa. Um, some in-state, I go to a lot of real estate functions. Yeah. Not as not the big ones as much as I used to, smaller. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of where our last kind of fun place was that we went. It's been yeah. a while. Well, that's, that's, um, that's awesome. That's a lot of... That's a lot of use of good time and good resources. And a lot of people don't understand that you do need to have, you have an outlet, but life can't be the outlet. You do need to actually put the work in and you need to grow and you need to work really hard. So it sounds like you're balancing that very well. I also travel with real estate agents. So (laughs) (laughs) one, it creates a write off, but my best friends are real estate agents in other areas. So we have a lot in common. And so we get the write off and we talk a lot of shop and yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you very much for being here, Tiffany. Sure. Really Thanks for having it. me. Thanks a lot. And that was another episode of Cut to the Chase with Tiffany Lockett. Come back next week and have another episode. That wraps up another episode of Agent Success Podcast. Remember, you can find new episodes each week at agentsuccesspodcast.com. We hope you found the insights and best practices shared today truly valuable. And if you did, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Remember, your success is a journey of learning and improvement. So let's keep hustling, thriving, and learning. Until next week, this is Tim Chase.